I mean, I have had, I have, I just feel like I have been like trying to like fight off and deflect pessimistic nihilistic like takes negative, from people negative all morning. energy yeah and and i'm not like not like one person or two people like so many people i'm like i get it but now is not the time <laughs> yeah well i mean there's all sorts of, it's just been there's so many shitty things i don't know the thing about like i was posted in the discord this week about fucking ufcw 3000 calling the cops on the people who are just trying to talk to their ufcw members fucking like out there trying to do some rank and file organizing or whatever and uh and the fucking uh leadership calls the cops on them i like emailed them to get a comment and they they didn't do anything i didn't even get a uh uh we are not interested in responding they literally just didn't respond well, I, we, I emailed them twice well what you need is a uh you need an email that ends with a publication that sounds legit so you need like newyorktimes.com yeah at newyorktims.com and it's too <laughs> late go. before they realize there's no e yeah <laughs> no new york times but the, the instead of a lowercase i it's a lowercase l Oh so yeah, yeah, or or just like uh, like just N York Times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, something that's very close and difficult to distinguish unless you think about it. Yeah, um, but yeah. well, I mean, once Still again, huge up. disconnect between the actual workers on the ground and uh, quote unquote leadership, which so often is not. Uh, <laughs> leading the ship i don't have anything for this one i'm sorry <laughs> well, well, isn't isn't it the ufcw who are like sort of move trying to move in on starbucks workers united where they're like trying to organize a few stores i think in california yeah i they they made some statement about you know hey it's a lot of work so we do it together but honestly if i was uh in, in a starbucks union not to, you know, for the people who are fighting for their union within the UFCW, that's yeah, bad. But if I could pick one, it would definitely be Starbucks well, Workers United. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't even want to be like, yo, how dare they try and organize Starbucks workers? All Starbucks workers are claimed by Workers United. But, like, like I think we see the example of how you do this with the Teamsters and the ALU. Mm -hmm. Like, the ALU went one, like, fucking Sean O'Brien met with christian smalls they talked about how they can work together and coordinate what they're doing and understandably you know it's a little different dynamic since the alu is a new upstart union and workers united is, is an affiliate of the seiu but like and and there are thousands and thousands of stores it's going to be incredibly difficult to organize them all and all the resources is better but like it's workers united who actually got these victories going you should coordinate with them you don't have to like like just give well, up your chance to organize a shop, but like at least I'm, talk to them about it. I'm interested in seeing the outcome of those uh, elections when they when they happen. Uh, hopefully, we we still see wins. But with the UFCW's yeah. history, I mean, who yeah. knows? And and also, just from a strategic perspective, it's so much more effective to have all of the workers in one industry in one right. union like mm -hmm. that's you just have so much more bargaining power so much more strike and solidarity power that way yeah, yeah. so i don't know it's not like we're like oh i can't believe ufcw is organizing workers it's right, just right. like <laughs> you could i think you could do this in a more solidaristic way with 
by working with Starbucks Workers United instead of just sort of doing this off on your own. <laughs> yeah, I right. wonder, like, like maybe they did talk before, but I don't know if they did because it felt like they made a statement afterwards being like, yeah, and then we had a conversation after we announced or something. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah, okay, so sure. I don't, yeah, like you said, I, I certainly hope, look, I hope they win. Like, yeah, it be- better that the UCW wins those elections than, than those workers lose. It's just like... The union movement needs to be talking to each other. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, speaking of talking to each other. everybody <laughs> this That's is work right. stoppage your favorite oh my god we were actually talking about labor labor podcast uh we are entirely <laughs> listener supported so thank you so much for any money you might be throwing us on the patreon if you're not in the discord already do yourself a favor and hop in there if you're a patron and you don't have your stickers yet all you have to do is send us your address on patreon and we will mail them to you uh, and if you want to help the show a little bit more leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you think it will make a difference just uh label a chalk outline on the street outside your house with listen to work stoppage that's make a bong out of it (laughs) that's right (laughs) uh so i mean just to get into our list this week you know we we unfortunately we're gonna front load some bad news uh on on our episode this week uh last week was the election the voting at the LDJ5 sorting facility in Staten Island the second facility that filed for a uh, union election with the Amazon Labor Union and after the incredible success at JFK8 I certainly became you know a lot more optimistic about this facility but unfortunately we did have the vote count uh, yesterday on Monday May 2nd and the workers did fall short and and lose the election. And it was, you know, unfortunately not really a nail biter either. The the company like Amazon, the the anti-union forces ended up winning 618 votes to 380 votes for the union. And this was with so 62% votes against the union, and that's on about 62% of the workforce because the sorting facility has about 1,600 workers in it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even though that doesn't necessarily seem super close, it's like three parts against to, to two parts for something like that. Uh, considering the amount of time, energy, and money that Amazon had to pour into this union-busting campaign, I think it's a lot closer than it, it really could have been. I've been seeing a lot of mainstream reports about this in the you know, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, other bourgeois rags who are just saying, like, uh, st- uh, Amazon workers, after first successful unionization, balk at union opportunity or, like, refuse <laughs> to, to unionize a second um, facility. And it's just so fucking ridiculous uh-huh. to think that, like, okay, oh, they, they lost at a smaller facility in another election that was, like, right after 
afterwards and they didn't have as much time to organize. And that means that somehow the, uh, the win at JFK eight was just a fluke or something, which is the most ridiculous line of argumentation I can imagine. Right. When they got more votes for the union at JFK eight, than there were voters at the LGJ five facility by literally a thousand votes. Well, with such little time, I mean, if they were using a lot of the same tactics that they were using in the JFK eight facility, I mean, the LDJ five facility is like a different work situation. Mm -hmm. There are a lot more part-time people. I mean, as we went over in our, uh, our LU um, shop floor discussion, which we unlocked uh, on May day. And also we're going, we partially go over in our rank and file episode, which is coming out this week um for patrons yeah no we're very excited about it uh that you know that the conditions you have to be able to be very flexible and and responsive but with such a short period of time to actually be responsive uh it might not have been uh you know enough time to actually you know address the conditions yeah so i mean obviously since this literally just happened yesterday we don't have a ton of uh, like deep analysis with there's not 20 interview articles that we've had a time chance to go over kind of like there was with the JFK eight victory. So we'll be, you know, looking forward to that from the labor press, people talking to the organizers at LDJ five, trying to find out what some of the differences were. But one thing I did find interesting was Alex press the, you know, one of the labor writers over at Jacobin had done some interviews with some of the organizers a couple of weeks ago before the election. And Justine Medina, who we've talked about several times on the show, one of the main organizers at JFK eight, talked about how after their win on April 1st, Amazon really just basically turned everything up to 11 as far as union busting, pulling out all the stops to try and, and, and prevent a victory at the LDJ five facility and to try and, you know, keep it from turning into this like torrent of potential wins. And, and she said, they don't underestimate us anymore. So they have their full arsenal here. The money and resources that were being poured into union busting at JFK 8 and Bessemer have now been redirected to LDJ 5. Which is a much smaller facility. Exactly. That's the thing. Because, I mean, between the two facilities, Bessemer and and – and the JFK facility, I think combined, there's something like 15,000 workers, mm-hmm. which is 10 times the number of people at LDJ5. So uh, the amount of like individual time that they would be able to devote to each employee at the sorting facility to try and turn them against the union was so much higher. Right. And, and yeah, I think that also – I really do think that the, that short turnaround – could, had to have made it so just compounded everything for yes. the ALU. <laughs> Basically, having three weeks from their their victory, and that's that like really is it as as far as time to be able to dedicate their resources because and and that's one of the few things that really I think you know comes up as a potential disadvantage where like the stuff that the ALU has done has done so far has been amazing, but as an independent union, as folks that are new they do have fewer just resources to be able to manage multiple campaigns at the same time. So sure. Yeah. Well, Whoa. and thinking of having time to actually look at things, uh, we're going to, you know, follow up on another story that we, we covered quite a while ago. Uh, and honestly, an ongoing story of our disdain, our disdain for OSHA, where uh, if you'll remember, there was the tornado that hit the Amazon facility, killing six workers, uh, OSHA has determined that there shall be uh, a written reprimand. Yeah. Mm. Like, 
this this I'm not surprised by this, but it this just this shit just makes me so mad. Like we talked about this when it happened. Like it's honestly one of the most difficult episodes I think that we've ever recorded because it's one of the most clear cut cases I've ever seen of negligent homicide by a company where they forced these workers to remain at the facility working while there was a tornado. They, there were tornado warnings three hours before the tornado hit. I saw some people saying, well, you know, the thing you have to do is shelter in place. And I get that, but they had hours of notification. They could have shut down the facility and let people go home. They did not do that. They forced people to stay there and threatened them that they would be fired if they left. There's no other way to interpret what happened to these people than that they were murdered by the company. And the response from OSHA isn't filing criminal charges against them. It's not forcing the company to pay massive compensation to the victims' families. It's not even minor fines that go to OSHA. It's nothing. Yeah, as you said, it's a letter. It is literally a hazard alert letter. They're not issuing any violations or citations whatsoever. Just sending them a letter that, that notes, quote, concerns about the potential risks to employees during severe weather emergencies. What poten- There's no potential risks. They already happened. Yeah. Six people are fucking dead. Potential like, yeah. is doing an insane amount of lifting there for describing a situation where actual risk, and not even risk, actual danger and actual loss of life was, was happened. And... Uh, I mean, sending a letter, it's like you may as well just send a fucking piece of toilet paper because Amazon's just going to wipe their ass with it. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, this is just a further illustration of a point that we've made over and over again on this show, which is that workers, we cannot rely on the capitalist state to enforce workplace safety restrictions, any, any sort of regulation that protects workers, because that's not the purpose of the state. The purpose of the state is to protect the company, just like... Functioning, that's what they're doing. basically functioning as a big HR department for yeah. these companies. It is serving to protect them, not us. So it, it is going to come to down to actions by our organizations, by unions, by socialist parties. It we're the only ones who can protect us on this. And so well, the, the the sooner like unions realize that and stop relying on OSHA, the better. Well, and I think that that leads us directly into the repealing of the of the COVID protections that Amazon is doing and how at the JFK eight facility, they've based, they filed, um, I guess maybe, I don't know if it's like an injunction or an unfair labor practice or something like that, basically saying that they can't just unilaterally change that while the, uh, JFK facility is bargaining for their first contract. And that being one of those examples of the union protecting the workers by still trying to maintain certain benefits that the company, is trying to you know roll back and that they have successfully rolled back at every other facility yeah like that's for for what we're talking about here folks is that like the day after the end of voting at ldj5 amazon announced and this is a case where they're getting cover from both osha and the cdc that they were gonna they're gonna basically get rid of what few protections they still had for workers they're not going to inform workers when anyone in their workplace tests positive for COVID. They're not going to pay workers who are out sick with it. Their new policy specifically tells workers they have to come back to work if they got COVID as long as, quote, your COVID-19 symptoms are improving. Not even gone. 
just improving. Yeah, they well, want you to come I back that, if, uh, while you're recovering from COVID, which is insane. You're still very contagious. Like, yeah, yeah, and I and I think that it's probably unlikely that they've been truly reporting cases. I mean, the uh, when my partner got sick, uh, they didn't report his case until ten days later. Like mm-hmm. in, in his workplace. I mean, like that <laughs> to, to me, that seems like what uh, is probably common practice all over the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, this is fucked. It's it's and it, and in the CDC paved the way for this when they basically declared COVID isn't a problem anymore and the pandemic's over and we don't care that hundreds of people yep. are still dying every day. Like the, the, the day after they did that, like half of the, the stops that I go to for my job, put signs up on their doors that are like masks are now optional in our facility yeah. and it like exclamation points and smiley faces and shit. I'm like, this is horrifying. Don't show me a smiley face. You fucking psycho. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see your smile. Yeah. I don't want to see it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, as you said, Lena, like the, the ULP charge that, that the ALU filed at JFK 8 is, as you said, a perfect illustration that it's like OSHA's not going to save us. The CDC is not going to save us. Voting blue isn't going to fucking save anybody. It's workers standing up for each other is literally the only thing that we can rely on. And that's like, you know, it's why we're fucking communists. Like, <laughs> this is the only <laughs> thing workers can count on is each other. And we need to emphasize that in our organizing. Absolutely. And and I mean, speaking of the way that unions are so vital for solidarity. That's right. We do have one cool piece of news from Amazon to, to round out our Amazon news for the week, which this is fucking dope. On Friday night, so this would have been the 29th, I think, Amazon workers in Minnesota walked out off their, their job demanding a three-hour wage increase and that workers be given time off for Eid, the celebration of the end of Ramadan. Like, and this was really dope to see, like, the, the level of solidarity that was on display from these Amazon workers. Like, worker Tyler, Tyler Hamilton explained why they were doing the walkout, saying, imagine if you worked on Christmas and Amazon forced you to. You couldn't see your families. You couldn't spend time with them. That would be ridiculous. Amazon is doing that with Eid right now, and they're getting away with it, just like they got away with lowering our pay. And yeah, that's it. There's a video of it, and honestly, his impassioned speech is very, very awesome and and, uh, supported by a lot of the workers. Everybody was like, hell yeah, absolutely. We stand up for all these people. We we deserve better pay and all these great things. And uh, it's really great to see that sort of those those actions happening and and that sort of... uh, enthusiasm from from the uh at least you know small union within that facility yeah and and i think it like just to to finish that off like to emphasize like again a point that we talk about on the show all the time like you don't have to have nlrb recognition to have a union and you don't need to have any recognition of your union to do actions like this Mm -hmm. like we've seen amazonians united in chicago do stuff like this with a minority union obviously these workers managed to do this so like it's this sort of direct action that is vital not only for fighting for these reforms but actually for building that solidarity within the facility to build towards if you want to, you know, file for NLRB elections. Like these can be a huge step forward in the process of doing that, even before you've had recognition. So incredibly encouraging to see and and you know, just want to emphasize for anybody who's thinking about organizing or is in the process of organizing at your workplace, like you don't have to wait 
until NLRB recognition to do walkouts, to do marches on the boss, to do any sort of this collective action. If anything, it will only help your union drive to do it yeah. beforehand. All, one of those, what that is uh, referred to, especially like when uh, we were, I was going through the No Shortcuts book, uh, that's considered a structure test, basically, mm-hmm. to uh, try and determine actually how much resilience your union has. If you're like, oh, I think we have some good momentum and we need to you know, make sure that we actually have people on board, you, you can find these things that need to be addressed immediately, do an action about them, and you'll see the kind of support that you get. And then, obviously, if the company either cracks down or folds, either way, you're going to probably see an increase in the support for your union. Yeah, because, I mean, just think about it. Like, uh, obviously, in the... I think the Minneapolis area, some areas of the upper Midwest do have a, a somewhat higher, uh, I, I would guess, concentration of Muslims living in the U.S. than some other parts. But I have to like if you're if you're, you know, going through the already difficult process of, of fasting for Ramadan and not being able to have water while you're like running around an Amazon facility doing incredibly difficult work. It would be really easy to feel like the rest of the people at your job site aren't going through the same thing. They don't care. They don't know the the stuff that you're going through. And so this sort of solidarity action is just, I mean, it's like the best thing you can do to show all your coworkers. It's like, no, we care about the struggles that you're going through and we're going to fight for them, even if it's, you know, not one that everybody on the job floor shares. And so this shit rules and more people need to do stuff like this. Well, it can take a long time to to do these sorts of things. And I mean, building power does take a a bunch of time and it brings us right into our next story with uh, Delta flight attendants who have been organizing since 2019 for their union and uh, are current currently have gotten one concession from the company just by the threat of them having a union, which also highlighted something that was fucking wild in that like these uh, these flight attendants weren't paid basically until the f- the plane was closed, like they weren't paid yeah. during boarding or anything. They like it's like hey, you got to work for thirty minutes before you can clock in. <laughs> yeah, like, what? <laughs> I think because I, I was reading about this, I was trying to find the specific legal reason like or the justification they used for it. I believe it's because early regulation like labor law for airlines was based on regulations for railways. And I mm. think railroad staff were used to or maybe still aren't paid until the train actually leaves. So again, I don't I don't know if that's the case, but but I think that's why, or at least that was their like justification originally. But yeah, it's complete like the the idea that you show up, go through a whole process of getting to the plane, and you're not paid for that, and then you have to go through the whole boarding process, and as you said, like for free, like that's insane. Yeah, no well, other job has you show up and is like, hey, mop the floor for twenty minutes and then clock in. Like every, everywhere <laughs> yeah. else, that's like widely acknowledged as like uh, that's unjust and also illegal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, these flight attendants work for Delta Airlines, which has one of the lowest uh, union uh, densities of flight uh, companies in the United States with less than 20% of its workforce being union. And uh, so these flight attendants, like I mentioned, had been organizing since 2019 to form this union. And I mean, I guess they, they are, they're going towards an actual election soon, I, I think, right? Yeah. They haven't filed yet, but clearly Delta has noticed 
the organizing efforts because, I mean, they would not have done this if if the workers were not organizing and organizing successfully. Because, like, in addition to this, they also came out and they said, oh, no, no, look, in a, we're going to pay you for boarding and we're going to give you all a 4% raise. Isn't that great, folks? Uh, please ignore the fact that we haven't given you a raise in three years and this raise is less than half the rate of current inflation. <laughs> Yeah, so they've been taking pay cuts for basically since they started organizing their union. Yeah, yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and this is so. I mean, like as as Lena said, like this has been a drive that's been going on for a few years. It's also not the first attempt to organize Delta flight attendants. There was a vote in 2010 where they just barely lost their NLRB election. I didn't get the vote count total, but this was, there was about 20,000 people and they all, the union only lost the vote by 300 votes, which I mean, that sucks, but this current organizing drive, which is affiliated with the uh, American association of flight attendants. Like we've talked about Sarah Nelson, the president of that union several times. She's, uh, seems like, you know, a really, Very one of the more cool. militant, pretty cool, uh, organizers out there for a major union. But one thing I also wanted to remind people of, because people, even if you like didn't know anything about this union drive, you may have seen some of the anti-union propaganda that Delta put together several years back because it very quickly became a meme, which was they started putting these like little flyers out there that said union dues cost $700 a year. You could buy a game console with that instead. Oh my God. (laughs) That's so fucking insane. It's like... (laughs) I, I I know every time something like this comes up on the show, I explain the same thing over and over again. But it's like you could get a game console every few checks if you just paid the union dues and like were active in the union and fought for your fucking rights. Like seven hundred dollars is fucking nothing. Like you should be asking for thousands and thousands and thousands of more dollars a year from these companies. Seven hundred dollars would be nothing to pay. Like oh my god, just Delta. What are you going to give me an Xbox as a bonus this year? Like fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, like with the fact that they've froze the wages of these workers for so long, I mean, obviously the fucking company has taken that that PlayStation 9 away from you, you know? Yeah, 100 percent. I did. I will say the one good thing that came out of that was there was men. There was a ton of f- excellent memes based on their stupid anti-union flyers. Like I saw oh, somebody was like one. Yeah, replacing it was like, it only costs like, it costs like, union dues are $700. Building a guillotine is only like this many. I think, yeah, I think it was $500. They're like, and yeah. then you still have $200 left over to buy games for your GameCube. <laughs> but so, like, um, in response to Delta clearly trying to head off the organizing campaign with these benefit changes, the union, uh, Delta AFA, put out a statement saying, hey, look, this is great. And this is clearly only because of our organizing. And they also pointed out that, quote, this also shows that Delta could have been paying flight attendants for boarding all along. And while this is a positive change, flight attendants are still being forced to fly more often thanks to short staffing. And yeah. they oh, and, they and the up. flights are having all sorts of backups and and yeah. issues specifically because of this short staffing that they are imposing upon themselves with these poor conditions. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, And the union also emphasized that, like, while these are welcome changes and and, and improvements, even if nowhere near as good as they should be, that the only way workers are really going to even be able to be assured 
of these changes that they're going to stick around more than a momentary like tweak is to actually get a union contract, get it in writing. That's the only way that we can ever be sure that these, that these sorts of changes are going to stick around instead of just being craw- claw- clawed back by the boss whenever they feel like it. Yeah. And so, yeah, like they, they haven't filed for a union election yet, but they are building towards it. And I, I think, yeah, like just like the, the Amazon workers in Minnesota, this is a really good example of how you know organizing gets the goods. And it's important to point out like that the only reason this sort of stuff happens is because of that organizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to kind of go back to our follow-up section a little bit, I mean, this isn't exactly a follow-up, but is a continuation of some of the stories that we've been covering in Mexico lately, where uh, lots of companies have been uh, kicking out their company unions uh, in exchange for actual independent unions. Uh, there are Panasonic workers who are heading up the uh, the, the the big shift towards actual unionization like we saw with the um, auto manufacturing plant that got rid of their company union so this uh this week right uh i yeah this uh so this was on i believe the 22nd or the 23rd so yeah a little over a week ago yeah they uh the workers at this panasonic uh plant which i think also makes car parts yeah, yeah, uh, I'm, which I'm, I guessing, fa- I'm guessing Panasonic didn't build this plant. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they bought it from another company because I don't think of Panasonic when I think of auto parts plants. Unless, unless it's like the radios and stuff like that. Who knows? But, oh, uh, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, they voted uh, with 70, 75% of the workers voted to join the independent union, uh, SNITIS. Uh, in exchange, or while well, kicking out the uh, Confederación de Tra- Trabajadores, which was the uh, um, which was the company union basically that had existed, and only twenty five percent of the workers uh, supported the company union. So there's definitely some awareness of the uh, the ways in which company unions do not protect workers. Yeah, this has been. I mean, this is great to see. Like. I, I really hope, like, because uh, this is now the third facility that we've reported on where an independent union has replaced the CTM affiliate, like, company union, corrupt union, fake union, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them. And the founder of SNITIS, who they also won at, their like, their first victory was at another auto parts plant owned by tr- a company called Tridenex and, that we'd reported on earlier. And their founder, Susanna Prieto, who we also talked about in our previous story said in response to the victory this has been overwhelming like the result at tridenex and we hope it's the same way at all factories that continue to join this new era of independent unionism and yeah absolutely and i there's another story though about the folks in the independent unions in mexico that i think really underlines like why this is so important because the first one of these that we talked about the independent union that won at the GM Silao plant, S-I-N-T-T-I-A. They have recently opened up their bargaining with GM on their first new contract, and they've opened it up in a pretty strong fashion where they their first initial recommendation for a new contract is seeking a 19.2% wage increase for the workers there. Oh, which, yeah. 
That rocks. And then, yeah, and then GM's like, yeah, we're going to do it, folks. Oh, but we're going to do 3.5%. <laughs> yeah, which is <laughs> obviously laughable in the face of, like, these uh, extremely overexploited workers. Yeah, well, and even if the union, uh, even if their proposed nearly 20% wage increase did go through, the workers are still going to max out at about $4 an hour in terms of pay. So they're still being extremely exploited. It would just be a significant lessening of the hyper-exploitation because, like, you know, even though the cost of living is cheaper in Mexico, we're not removing the... uh, incentive for these companies to hire, you know, four or five workers in Mexico instead of paying one here or there, you know, an appropriate wage. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, workers in Mexico, like the huge inflation that we've had here in the U.S. is not confined to the U.S. Like mm-hmm. this is happening all over. Workers in Mexico are facing similar huge inflation crises. So like three, yeah, three point five percent is ridiculous, and and S I N T T I A Secretary General Alejandro Morales called GM's offer quote a slap in the face. Which yeah, I agree. I think that's a very accurate characterization of it. So I mean, it's great to see the the union come out and say, look, you guys had it real fucking good for a long time with this fake union that wouldn't actually stand up to you and wouldn't actually fight for the workers. And that's over. Like we have a real union that's actually run by the workers for the workers. And we want to be fucking paid. (laughs) That's right. That's, that's awesome. And, uh, to move to our next story, which also has, uh, amounts of super exploitation built into it yeah, and honestly be- this one's got some interesting details related uh there is a <laughs> canadian chain called freshies uh that is testing a virtual cashier system that basic that pays uh workers from the global south under the minimum wage to work in canada basically paying these workers around 375 per hour which is below the $12 an hour minimum wage in toronto where these freshies uh, exist yeah like one of our listeners posted this story in the discord that was like how i first heard about it this is out of a story in the toronto star and i just saw this and it's just like hey so in addition to doing the whole we're going to replace workers with kiosks bullshit, uh, what if we just used a virtual cashier in another country so we could bring the super exploitation directly to you? God, it, 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 it kind of reeks of the overall trend of these these uh, companies being like, we're going to roll out uh, some kind of uh, automated, robotic, mechanized system that's going to handle this. And then eight years of development hell later, they're like, the robot is a person in another country that we can mm-hmm. pay less. That's, what is it, the um, the the fake AI story that we covered on, yeah, on click that work episode? Yeah, micro work, yeah. Yeah, I, that was exactly the same thing I kept thinking of when I was reading about this. Like, they, this the company has referred to this as, as a way to, quote, further assist partners in managing costs and protecting profitability. Uh, and by partners, program. they mean franchisees, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes, that's exactly who they, they al- mean. And They always throw the, the profitability or the, like, protecting the shareholders in there at the end, like it's an afterthought. It's like, oh, this is just another thing we also do. That's the whole reason you're doing this, is to, to make <laughs> m- make an insane amount of money instead of a very large amount of money. Yeah. And I mean, we could talk forever about the, the way the business model within 
restaurants and and food generally is completely fucked and so often relies basically is founded on wage theft it is based entirely on paying workers not enough money to live but it's and it uh, you know underlines that whole thing it's like if your business model for your uh store of any kind but in this case restaurant relies on paying workers less than a living wage you don't have a successful business model you have a scam like (laughs) yeah well, and the it, workers specifically that were going to be these virtual cashiers uh, were from Nicaragua, where, you know, I mean, like, there has been huge amounts of exploitation, though we've seen uh, certain, like, certain improvements in their in their living conditions through the, the Sandinistas who, who actually are in power right now. Um, but, I mean, just looking back at history, did we, did we cover that in any of our, uh, our, our episodes? I think we might uh, not have... We Maybe. we talked about the contras in yeah. and the way that they were funded using the drug trade and stuff. That that we talked about that in our the I think part three of the repressive state apparatus mm-hmm. series. So yeah, if you want to hear about some of the many horrific ways that the United States has fucked with Nicaragua and and the global south generally, definitely check out that series. Because yeah, and and still like the U.S. has um, there's a million sanctions that the U.S. has put on Nicaragua, which makes it really difficult for them to trade with other countries, which then makes it difficult to build development even with a socialist pro- program. So it. It sucks. So it's like this whole business model is based now not only on the already incredibly high levels of exploitation of workers in food service generally, but then also resting on the foundations of imperialism to do hyper exploitation. It's extremely fucked. And it's also interesting that this was launched in Canada first and not in the United States, possibly because it's so exploitative right on its face that they thought, "Mm, better try it out in the country that's slightly better at laundering its reputation, (laughs) despite the fact that it's exactly as complicit in atrocity as the U.S. Yeah. And and the way that they get away with this is because like Canada's minimum wage laws, which would normally require workers to be paid about $12 us an hour, which I think is $15 Canadian. Those laws only apply if the work is being done entirely within Canada. And because the remote workers are in Nicaragua, they're able to get around the minimum wage laws. And like basically what this is essentially doing for the franchise owners is it saves them paying $10 an hour per cashier. So it's, I mean it from a, from a logic of capital perspective, it makes a ton of sense, which just happens to be based on, you know, crushing exploitation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and will you mentioned that we posted this and, uh, I, I want to skip ahead a little bit to where one of the franchisees actually reached out to us and gave us some sob story about how, oh, we don't control the wages that this place that we're contracting through pays. So it's not our fault. We're just trying to deal with this labor shortage. You're hurting small business owners by reporting that we're hyper exploiting people in the global South. (laughs) I, uh, promptly told them to fuck off yeah. but uh you're, you're it was funny small, to have you're hurting small was, business by explaining how we operate <laughs> yeah, and also what? i'm just like man 
you could not have been more obvious that you have, don't know who we are and that you just Googled every like instance that this story was posted. Cause I'm like, I don't really think your complaint of you're hurting small business owners was ever going to do very good with the openly communist labor podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're hurting small business owners. And I'm just like, good. Yeah. Also, this is not a small business. The way that they were framing it as a small business is because these franchisees right. might technically, that might be the only business they own but really freshies has tons of locations 20 alone in the toronto area yeah yeah well, and also yeah, whenever yeah. anybody tells you that like we don't control the practices of this this co- company that we're contracting this labor through it's like that's exactly why you contracted it through that company you fucking psycho because you can't get away with it yourself but if you put one layer of like deniability of responsibility in between you and the actual you know wage theft or imperial exploitation or whatever it might be then you can you can kind of get away with it in the public eye yeah, yeah so well, Gerald if you are listening to this <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's right so we're going to move to a, another story also outside the U S but a little further afield this time we we've reported on the situation in Sri Lanka at least once, maybe a couple times where they've been going through a really bad economic crisis, like uh, with the downturn in tourism due to COVID and then the you know global supply chain issues. And then recently, obviously the economic reverberations from the war in Ukraine, which has caused global food prices to shoot through the roof. All of this has combined to really, really hurt the Sri Lankan economy. And because we we previously talked about a strike by healthcare workers where some workers like hadn't been paid in months and they were still showing up because they wanted to take care of their patients. But they're like, look, I got to be able to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I have to be able to literally just survive. And so they were protesting for that. But well, now the situation has only continued to get worse since we last talked about it. And it's gotten to the point now that there was actually a general strike across Sri Lanka last Thursday, which I only found out about this this weekend and I didn't see it reported basically anywhere, but the pictures that were coming out of this were wild. Like you have these enormous protests by like every trade union in the country. It's literally, it's hundreds of trade unions Mm -hmm. that all walked off the job and protested at the presidential palace to demand an end to the government's austerity measures and to, uh, that the government resign, but everywhere else, it's like the pictures were exactly what you kind of, what you want to see from a general strike. It looked like a ghost town, everything completely shut down schools, businesses, banks, public transit, all completely shuttered because like this was a real general strike where the vast majority of the workers said we cannot go on with these policies it is literally killing people like they they they've had huge shortages of food and fuel rolling blackouts enormous inflation and and this has only gotten worse as time has gone on yeah and and this kind of like uh, striking and, and mass action and, and the people getting together and, and demanding change from their government really works because I was just Googling some follow-up on this. And today, I think a few hours ago, uh, a group from the uh, United People's Force Party, which is the main opposition or one of the main opposition groups, uh, actually delivered a motion demanding a no-confidence parliamentary vote to remove uh, the president and his younger brother from power. 
which is uh, <laughs> his younger brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is their first general strike in over 40 years. I mean, the staple products like rice have doubled in price in Sri Lanka in just the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, one government worker told Al Jazeera, uh, life has become hard in this economic crisis. Gas, electricity, food, and bus fares are all overpriced at the moment. Yeah, and the thing is, like, look, there are certainly plenty of factors to this economic crisis that were genuinely out of the control of the Sri Lankan government. But it could have responded by saying, look, this levels of foreign debt. We can't pay that. Like, sorry, there was a global pandemic. We rely on tourism. You guys are just going to have to eat those loans. We have to, our people have to be able to eat and send their kids to school and we have to be able to have power. So, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna pay these we're not gonna spend the money that we have paying down these debts. But instead, they've been doing what so many capitalist governments do in response to crisis, slashing social services, like as we talked about on previous stories, like in huge cuts to the public health care system. Uh, I mean, to the point where they're not paying people that work there. Like, and now their government has been working with the IMF to secure a deal to bail out their government, which if, and this is another thing I think we talked about in the repressive state apparatus. Uh, I think we series. would have. Yeah. Um, it, but if we didn't just for people to know, you do not want your government negotiating with the IMF because what results is what's called a structural adjustment program, wherein the, the IMF gives you a loan theoretically to keep your country afloat and forces you to privatize everything in the country i think we covered it when we covered the uh big strike in uh south korea oh yeah probably yeah but the yeah, it, it is- honest uh, ba- uh, imf if you're listening to this go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> yes very much i mean yeah because the the imf that like these sorts of programs are trojan horses for super exploitation wherein they basically say we will give you these loans in exchange for allowing american european and sometimes japanese companies basically the the companies in the the imperial the global imperial system dominated by u.s hegemony will come in and they will buy up all of what used to be state functions the healthcare system if you had nationalized mines or any other sort of resource production those will all be privatized like everything else and it'll it, it is signing away the looting of your country to take these sorts of programs and so that's a big part of the reason why there was this giant general strike and the what and like to your point john in addition you know to the opposition parties pushing for their resignation one of the things that i loved about this from the trade unions because again this was basically a unanimous strike by all the trade unions mm-hmm. in sri lanka was they they told the government like look not only are we shutting down the entire country today and you have to resign they said that if the government didn't resign in a week that a longer general strike would be called on may 2nd like uh the chief secretary of the oh yeah may 6th yeah sorry um the the chief secretary of the joint healthcare workers union well, I think this is how you pronounce this. Thank you, Lena, for looking it up. Is uh, actually, I didn't look this one up. I just sounded it out and put it out there so it'd be easier to try to pronounce. Oh, okay. Tampatie <laughs> uh, uh, Sugatananda, which I again am probably fucking up, but I it, like the, they're the chief secretary of the Joint Healthcare Worker or Workers Union who said 
if the workers tell the president and the prime minister to leave, they should leave by all means. We need a response by the state to today's action. If not, there is no choice but to continue for months. Hell yeah. Fucking threaten them. Let them know you won't go to work. It'll be a ghost town for months if you don't fucking resign or change some shit or, you know, whatever the fuck. That's so fucking awesome. I can't wait for us to start getting Facebook messages from IMF (laughs) franchisees being like, you're hurting small businesses. And I have to be like, I'm I'm sorry, Omar Al-Bashir. You probably shouldn't have taken out those loans. (laughs) Part of the reason I really wanted to highlight this story, in addition to it just being very newsworthy in general, is that it's like this, because I'm sure there's a lot of people right now this week, because we're recording this, you know, the the day after there's the news about the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. overturning Roe versus Wade. There's plenty of people very understandably asking, how the fuck do we change anything? How do we actually make our stupid, like, evil government do anything that we want? Because it seems like everything we do doesn't work. This is how. Like, this stuff. When you shut down the entire economy, which is not easy, even in a small country like Sri Lanka. It's incredibly difficult. But, like, this is how, like, workers make their voices heard. And so... Like, there's never been a better time to start building the organization necessary to do this sort of thing in the United States. Absolutely, because like we uh, try to hammer home every time we cover a general strike is you don't just call a general strike. You don't post it. Right. You don't post a general strike on social media and hope it happens. You actually have to build unions themselves from the ground up so that there are groups of people, like actual groups, to hold solidarity with one another and to de- and decide collectively to go out on general strike. It's mm-hmm. not some sort of spontaneous thing uh, in that in the way that, you know, is kind of idealized by like, oh, everybody just walks out the front door at two o'clock on, on, for- on Friday or whatever. But no, it's actually organized groups getting together and making decisions. Yeah, it's, you don't just post, oh, we're all going to Naruto run at the Capitol you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and otherwise you end up looking like, um, Michael in that, the office meme where he's like, I didn't say it. I declared it. It's like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all solidarity with the striking workers of Sri Lanka. May you bring down the shitty government that you are opposing. Hell yeah. Uh, but speaking of workers shitty. fighting against. <laughs> A really big foe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a good segue. For I was just saying, like the, a shitty government because the ruling class are the people who are we're going to be <laughs> talking yeah. about in this next one. So we're coming back to the states for a story on the spread of retail organizing, which is very encouraging to see. And this time at one of the most profitable companies, if not the most profitable one in the world, we've got the very first Apple store in the country to file for an NLRB election in Atlanta, which is really cool. Like, uh, this is for a store in the Cumberland Mall, which has a bar- It's going to have a bargaining unit of about a hundred workers, and they've are they've already achieved over seventy percent of signups on the union card. So that's a really big milestone. And if successful, they will be organizing with the CWA. So like, this is a really big deal because there's a lot of Apple stores across the country. And Apple is, you know, as big as Amazon is, Apple's right up there with them, in, at least mm-hmm. in terms of like market share. And so like a union at the move, especially a union movement 
at the Apple stores would be huge. Especially yeah. because the Apple stores are the customer-facing end of Apple. I think that's what's right. been really encouraging with within this like retail and, and Starbucks kind of unionization movement broadly across the United States is that we are unionizing the the most customer-facing, the most public workers, you know, uh, in that we have in this country, basically, the ones that people interact with the most often. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, the company has tried to get ahead of this a little bit by offering uh, some employees a raise, uh, but they have been in the neighborhood of about a dollar an hour, which is not anywhere close to what workers would be demanding. Uh, in fact, these particular workers are demanding $30 an hour as a, uh, as a, as yeah. a wage, which I think is fucking awesome. But we have uh, worker Eli Daniels who told Liberation News that the reason the workers filed for a union was Quote, we want to make sure that every Apple worker is able to afford quality housing and basic living expenses. And this kind of highlights the, I mean, if that is their demands, that means that they're not able to reach those those basic mm-hmm. needs that people have. And this is, again, one of the most profitable companies in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Apple wasted no time in immediately hiring enemies of the show, Littler Mendelssohn, to run their union-busting campaign. And uh, the workers themselves had something to say to the company, uh, in, possibly in response to that uh, shameful offer of dollar-an-hour raises for some employees where they they posted an open letter to apple detailing their demands which says apple is the world's most valuable company and as we continue to expand and grow we need the power to ensure that all of our employees are included in the successes that apple achieves but in a company as large as apple it takes a lot of people to make a change that's why we're forming a democratic union an organization run by us with leaders elected by us that we own fuck yeah 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 that rules and and they've they've listed their specific goals which are fair compensation uh opportunities for career development because one of the things that they talked about is it's real easy if you're working at one of these stores to hit basically a dead end where there is no more career advancement mm-hmm. so they want to fix that the they want to have parity between apple corporate and Apple retail, because obviously there's that kind of divide there between the really highly compensated tech workers and then the much, much lower compensated workers that, as you said, the customer facing folks at the store, uh, they're looking for equity for all employees. They're looking for mental health and disability resources for more say and control over COVID safety policies. And then just generally a role in decision-making on the shop floor. Right, yeah. and this being the first uh, store, I mean, there's a little bit of a uh, an undercurrent or some some like subtext that is uh, saying that there are six other stores that are in the earlier phases of unionizing, and that this is just the beginning of a another wave of organizing workers in like. John was saying the the kind of the public uh, facing the the customer facing part of work in the United States. There are 272 retail stores in the United States, and uh, I mean, looking at at this, I imagine that there are a lot of them who are experiencing these similar conditions. And with a uh, what they're talking about as a democratic union, uh, seems like it might go the way of Starbucks. But who knows? We're only looking at seven total stores right now. 
and we're gonna have to keep following up on this but to but to just not uh not to just cut the story off because we have a little bit more details the uh workers at grand central organizing organizing under the banner fruit stand workers united this is because uh, apple is i love that fun. name so much <laughs> yeah <laughs> um they they published a list of specific demands, including uh, starting uh, the starting thirty dollar minimum wage, which I mentioned, uh, more vacation time, uh, more contributions to retirement plans, and tuition reimbursement. Uh, currently, the workers start at twenty dollars an hour at this store, uh, which is better than some stores, but still really expensive uh, for for the actual like cost of living in this area. Yeah, I mean, what's uh, what's really interesting about the demands between the two stores, and I think that they're all really important, but I think that the the call for $30 an hour and specifically the demand that the Atlanta workers made where they want a parity between corporate and retail pay is so, so, so critical because that breaks down a lot of the like artificial class distinctions that Apple is able to impose on its workers and, and kind of pit them against each other. And uh, at, at the risk of sounding a little bit too uh, optimistic, if, if you do institute that kind of pay parity, then in the future, those workers can all organize together for Absolutely. even more advances, even more effectively. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, one of the workers organizing at the store in Grand Central told the Washington Post, I have a lot of coworkers and friends who I generally love, and they do not make enough to get by. They're struggling and they're hurting. And we work for a company that has the resources to make sure they're taken care of. And just to underline what this worker was saying, like, I, I mean, everybody knows that Apple is an incredibly wealthy company, but just to put a scale on it, Last year, and this is just such a ridiculous number, Apple generated sales of over $365 billion with the B. Like, I know like, they have a lot of stores. They do employ a lot of people. But you made three, $365 billion is more than, like, the GDP of most countries. Yeah. Like, that is ridiculous. They're, they could easily afford to pay all their workers, not just the workers in New York City, but really all of their workers, a starting minimum of $30 an hour. So, I mean, all solidarity with these workers, I'm sure. Littler will be rolling, or already has, I'm sure, already been rolling out the standard playbook with the captive audience meetings and all the various mm -hmm. lies. But I, I, one of the things that I'm hopeful about here is that with the publicity and the openness that we've seen with some of these recent movements like Starbucks Workers United, like the Amazon Labor Union, and how eager that folks organizing there have been to share their experiences and what they've learned, it that will help any of these workers at these other places, at Apple, at the Verizon retail stores, because they can get a look into that union-busting playbook that we know all these consultants, Littler Mendelssohn, Labor Relations Incorporated, and all these other shit bags that because they're all playing from basically the same hymnal like and so all the workers being able to see that publicized and learn from it should hopefully give them a leg up to be able to prep folks so they know what's coming as far as union busting mm -hmm. well and to to move to Starbucks, we're going to be covering a huge amount of elections that have happened since the last episode. Um, so I mean, there have been a, another huge amount of victories that have gone. There's a couple losses. Uh, we're going to cover uh, a couple of them. Uh, one of them 
being the the third loss overall in the whole campaign was in Eugene, Oregon, where uh, one of the locations uh, voted seven to four against unionizing. But then uh, later that day, five other stores voted for unionizing, four of them in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, those votes came down and were basically landslides, uh, 12 to one at the 7th and Washington site, uh, store, 10 to one at uh, Delta Green Acres, 17 to zero, another uh, unanimous one at Franklin and Villard, and another unanimous 19 to zero in the University of Oregon's Student Union. Yeah, I mean, we love to see it. We love the uh, the unanimous wins. Unfortunate about that loss at the the Oakway Mall location in Eugene, but uh, you know, we we knew that you know that there was no way that Starbucks was going to Starbucks Workers United was going to win every single election. And boy, if you thought that was a bunch, that's just the start of the list. <laughs> there have been so many votes this week; it has been very difficult to keep up. Like. Because uh, in addition to those five stores in Eugene, there was also a vote in Georgia on Thursday where workers in Augusta voted 26 to 5 in favor of the union, which I believe made them the first store in Georgia. Uh, and I think the third store in the South overall to successfully unionize with, with SBWU. That sounds and right. There was a quote from one of the organizers at the Augusta store, Jason Saxton, who told the Augusta Chronicle, I want to make this a better place for my child and for the people I work with because they're my family as well, which that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I feel like that's a great, that's a great summary of the, the way that this organizing campaign has really gone where you've got these, the depraved level of cruelty dealt out by the corporate and the management back to, and then you like see the interviews with all the Starbucks workers and it's this sort of like real solidarity and family and like genuine care for each other. And so it's like, Hey boy, it's nice to have a really clear cut, good team and bad team. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so in addition to that store in Augusta, there ha- have been a million other ones there on actually the day before on, on Wednesday, the 27th, a, the first unionized Starbucks in Minnesota at the 300 Snelling store in St. Paul won their election 14 to 1. And then a couple days later in, in New York City on Friday, the Starbucks in Astor Place voted 11 to 2 in favor of the union. And then as the, on Saturday, there was a vote in North Carolina for their first unionized store when workers at Boone and this was a this is a big Starbucks voted thirty three to two. I think that's like that's the, a huge Starbucks. Uh, that's like the same size as that one in Falls Church. I think mm-hmm. that we talked about last week. Like, that's enormous for a non roastery. And Ben, I love the huge landslide at a store that big thirty three to two. That rocks. So, yeah. um, And then on Monday, uh, this May second. There were four more union elections. Uh, We'll start off the first one. Uh, We unfortunately had a vote in Hawaii in Mililani town that was lost by the union. I couldn't actually find a vote total for that one, Um, but, you know, uh, unfortunate. Hey, you know, something like one third of the population of Hawaii works for the U.S. government. So I'm going (laughs) to go ahead and blame this one on the CIA. 
<laughs> I mean, hey, definitely possible. But, uh, well, I mean, people's so ties in their families are actually a really indicative as to whether or not they would support unions. I mean, that's one of the first things that uh, both union organizers and union busters try to gauge is whether or not people have had union members in their family. And if they are part of the you know imperialist structure, they might be people who are against unions. Yeah, I mean, definitely true. Uh, And so on Monday, there were also two stores in New Jersey that voted to unionize, starting with a store in Summit, where workers voted seven to three in favor of the union, and then a store in Hamilton that also won by a vote of eight to three, which bring brought us to three unionized Starbucks in New Jersey. And on the same day, we Minnesota which did not have to wait long for their second unionized store uh, and fitting that the first unionized store is in St. Paul and the second unionized store is in Minneapolis. So, you know, we got the twin cities <laughs> twin voting cities, almost baby. on the same day <laughs> <laughs> when workers at the 47th and Cedar store voted 11 to three in favor of the union. So, and you'd figure, well, this, that was on Monday. Uh, we, we are recording right now on Tuesday. That's got to be the end, right? Well, as I was posting about on Twitter <laughs> right before the episode, it is so hard to keep up with these because uh, there have been a million more elections just today where four more stores in Boston won their elections. We got the Continuum store in Alston voted unanimously 7-0 to zero for the union. A store in Cleveland Circle which is also, which is, but for people that is in Boston, not in Cleveland, um, they voted <laughs> eight to two for their union. Uh, the Mount Auburn store in Watertown, which is like basically part of Boston, um, won their election 10 to one and a store at the Beth Israel medical center won their election unanimously five to zero, which is still not the end of the elections. <laughs> All right, we're still moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're almost done. Uh, so there were also three more votes in New York, and I'm and I, I'm doing this partially because there was one that I didn't catch before we started recording. So uh, one on Long Island in at Massapequa, where workers won nineteen to eight. Then there was one incredibly close loss in New York at Great Neck where workers came up short five to six, which I did see a post from the union saying they are going to challenge that one because they were saying that the level of union busting at that store was ridiculous and crossed the line into illegal several times. Mm So uh, we'll, we'll have to watch if there's a redo on that one. And then there was one more that isn't in the notes because it happened since we started recording where a Brooklyn Starbucks, which I believe is the first Brooklyn Starbucks, won a unanimous election 17 to nothing at the Caesars Bay Shopping Center. So wait, so it's not 16 to three, it's 17 to three over the past week. Yes, exactly. Like, so all of that stuff that we just rattled off, that makes Starbucks Workers United 17 to 3 in the 20 union elections that have happened since our last yeah. episode. Well, and like uh, when when I when we started recording this segment, I opened up the Starbucks union unionization election results tracker that uh, a friend of the show Hollow Salas made for us and it said we were at 5 defeats, 1 TBD and 53 victories and now it says 55 victories. So I think we might have seen two <laughs> roll in just while we were recording the episode. Yeah. So I don't know. I may be a little behind. We we may not be 100% on well, there. Well, it's but, just that they're uh, happening oh, no. right now. <laughs> you know, we're not behind. Yeah, so, like. <laughs> but 
just Hold on, today, let me log Starbucks on to Twitter, see if we can get another one. Yeah. <laughs> Starbucks <laughs> blew through the 50 unionized Starbucks mark. And remember, the first one only won their election like not even six February? months ago. No, oh really? It was I think I think December. Oh, it was December. Was f- okay. Damn. Yeah, so this is absolutely wild. Like that over fifty. I mean, fuck seventeen victories in a week. When's the last time that <laughs> happened? This I, shit rules. That's why yeah. we're ending the show, <laughs> ending the, the news segment with, with this segment. Because, like, yeah, it's a list of vote counts. It may not be the most exciting, but it's 17 union wins in a week. Yeah. Yeah. This rocks. So we it, love Starbucks Workers United. It looks like <laughs> while we were recording, I, I found the info at, uh, at Starbucks Workers, at SB Workers United on Twitter. They said Tallahassee just won the first store in Florida, 16 to 1. And... Um, <sighs> The day's not over. Farmville, Virginia workers win 12 to 3. So Damn. what? Are you telling me that we, that that's 19 to 3? We're getting the results live, folks. I hope you're standing by. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, assuredly, no. even though Lena and John are very fast editors, I am honestly sometimes shocked at how quickly they can turn around an episode. Almost assuredly, there will be more union election <laughs> yeah. wins by the time we put this out. <laughs> yeah. So, the I mean, the Starbucks union victory train keeps on rolling. Rank and file organizing fucking works. Like That's right. And we are going to keep stuff. on rolling into the meme review. And uh, this first one is a really great switch up and honestly applies a lot to these, like the Starbucks uh, situation or other retail situations. Uh, it's just some worker in an apron leaning against a wall on their phone and this uh, sw- mop Swiffer looking thing that's uh, leaning against the other wall. I'm guessing they're in a small hallway and it says, if you can clean, you can lean. Trust me, your job isn't that critical. Slow down. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I I heard that shit when I was working at the uh, concessions job that I worked in college so many times, <laughs> if, yeah. but the opposite, the management version of it. If you got time to lean, you got time to clean. And I was like, but I already cleaned everything. The fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Shut up. Well, and also if you got no, time to talk, please don't get yeah. out of my face. <laughs> well, and also if I've got time to lean, look, I already set this time aside for leaning. Please don't interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. But I mean, yeah, it's 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 to the point that we have emphasized so many times on this show, work exactly as hard as you are compensated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slow the fuck down. Don't kill yourself working too hard. Give your boss what they pay for. Uh- mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we got some more memes that emphasize that coming up. Like, so in the, a similar vein, we've got a, a, a multi-panel comic here. This is where? one where like the like some Power Rangers, it's like a cartoonized version of the Power Rangers are all putting their hand into the center. And then yeah, in the and final one, there's a strange hand that doesn't fit. But yeah, I'll go yeah. over it. So instead of, you know, your classic Captain Planet, uh, like Earth, Wind, Water, Fire, Heart, you've got growing food, building, crafting, healing the sick, making art. And then one hand that doesn't look like the rest that says wage labor so you can pay rent. 
And then, uh, and then yeah. it zooms out and it's got all the first five hands and all the Power Rangers like just glaring at the Teletubby <laughs> of wage labor that has shown up to try and add itself to the the unity of these other things under the, the banner of meaningful work. I like yeah, this because absolutely. it's politically accurate. Uh, it, it's it's economically well informed, and it also demonizes Teletubbies, which is correct. <laughs> Do not <laughs> at me. And then right. uh, the third meme of this week, we've got a Nick Offerman of uh, what is it? he's what's his character's name again? This is from Parks Ron and Rec. Swanson. Ron, Ron yeah. Swanson. It says. Uh, where he's well, he's ordering a steak in this scene. I'm pretty sure, but uh, the the text on this one is: I'm worried that what you heard was just give me more of my value, just give me more of the value of my labor. What I said was give me all of the value my labor generates. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, yeah. Because this is from the the give me all the bacon and eggs you have right. is the original <laughs> line, but it's true. Give us all the surplus value we produce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, show me the Excel (laughs) sheet where you determine how much money my labor makes this place, and then give me that exact amount of money. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In the same vein of uh, bosses taking your surplus value, we're going to move to uh, another group of people who steal your surplus value, landlords with this Godzilla poster. It's straight up like a movie poster. I I I like this one because the meme itself has absolutely nothing to do with the text whatsoever. This is just one of those cool picture with with correct text over yes. it. Yes. Where yeah, you've got this like big Godzilla from the early Godzilla movies uh like with like lightning hitting him and like storm clouds everywhere and with with like big accented lettering over it that just says landlords do not provide housing they hoard it and ransom it back to you for more than it's worth oh that's fucking right huh got another correct one here folks (laughs) yeah Yeah, no matter how many times you hear about how oh well as a landlord i provide a valuable service to the economy provide housing no you don't the people who build the housing provide the housing Mm -hmm. you just are like extorting people (laughs) yeah Yeah, and i bet if i asked the contractor who put this place together i'd get a better price than i do from uh (laughs) blackrock or whoever my (laughs) landlord is now yeah, just like yeah, you're exactly. like, yeah, I'm sorry, Elon Musk, but you did not fucking invent PayPal. You know, fuck off. Or Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Any or of Or SpaceX. <laughs> or anything. How about you Starlink D's nuts? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, folks. This is, is the only highbrow leftist humor podcast <laughs> out there. <laughs> And uh, then our last one is uh, brought in here because we have just seen uh, Democrats continue to pursue L's to try to uh, get as many as they can to uh, to basically, you know, ruin our society in favor of the ruling class as they serve them. Uh, and this is a Lord of the Rings meme. That's where right. They got people standing at the top of that like volcano thing. I don't remember what it's called. But they're, <laughs> the guy, Doom. Mount Mountain Doom, Mount Doom, Mount. Sorry, being Mount? a pedantic nerd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mount Doom. That's uh, that's where Doom guy is from. If I understand, where, that's right. That's where MF Doom is. That's Rest right. in peace. Yes. 
uh, the they, this is the one where he's got the the uh, ring in his hand, and then the ring is labeled fascism. And then the first thing is uh, the first or the second panel is labeled leftist. Is cast it into the fire, destroy it. And then there's the the person who is not going to destroy it, and they're labeled liberals. And it says, "No, I can compromise with it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't every I, single time. <laughs> like liberalism and then where, creates where the fascism. fuck are we? And where the fuck are we? Well, and I mean, yeah, like this is the same these are the same people that that have told us for 50 years we have to vote for them to stop fascism. Meanwhile, they're now spending 30 billion dollars to send weapons to literal Nazis in Ukraine and doing nothing to stop the rise of fascism here in the United States, except tell people, Oh, you got to vote. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, Voting. Well, he- Do you want Francoism? Cause this is how you get Francoism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's, on that, sucks. on that note, we are going to wrap for the episode. Uh, we want to thank everyone who is a patron who supports us. And if you would like access to, I mean, we just did that release of the Amazon uh, shop floor discussion. We have two other ones uh, that and we're obviously will be producing more in time. And also, you should look forward to the rank and file explainer that we have coming out. Honestly, it, I just finished editing it, and it fucking rocks. Um, and you can get that by going to patreon.com slash workstoppage. I mean, that particular episode is going to be available, like, I think it's Friday. But, uh, and then jump in the Discord, even if you're not a patron. The Discord's available for everyone. If you want to help us out more, share the episodes, uh, write a five-star review anywhere. You, know, you put it in, like, little Matryoshka dolls and then sell it at a little flea market. Um, <laughs> then uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. I am at Solidarity B. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce. Listen to Red Game Table. And as always... Labor peace is not in our interest, and solidarity forever. Solidarity out there. Solidarity, everybody. Solidarity.